All right, so we, in as much as we're after Purim, meaning that we are before Pesach, and we will sooner or later go back to review and to have questions and answers concerning Pesach, we did start a Medicine in the Talmud series, and at least this week, let us give some continuity to it, and then we'll take it a week at a time, and we'll see when we will go to our Hilchas Pesach. Okay, uh, we are we we opened up and we spoke a bit about demons. I certainly would like to give another very important uh, intro to the whole topic of healing of medicine in the Gemara, something that we did not uh, yet touch upon in our prior introductions, and that is as follows: human life. And the sanctity of human life has so much religious weight and significance that in as much as there are some exceptions to the following statement, one should make the following statement. And that is, is that in Judaism, when there is a clash of values and you have to choose between one or another value, and therefore you'll be forced to prioritize, the rule will be that human life has the greatest of all values. Just as a means of an example, peace and the pursuit of peace and the refraint of doing whatever that will get in the way of peace is a tremendously important Jewish value. You know, just for example, we conclude the Shemayna Esrei by, uh, by speaking about Shalom. How many prayers, like those who daven at night, um, the final bracha before Shemayna Esrei speaks about the importance of peace. Nevertheless, if there is a clash between the value of peace and the value of life, then we have to choose life. It might sound obvious when we're speaking about this in a very theoretical setting. I became aware of the the importance of the statement when uh, my wife and I lived in the Holy Land, and that was in the beginning of the uh, Oslo agreements, after which there was so much bloodshed against Jewish life. And the way it was framed then by Shimon Peres was that immediately the, 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 the Jews started to get murdered. So he called those murdered Jews Korbanot HaShalom. Like these are the sacrifices we pay for peace. And it was then that, 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 that I appreciated better how, how terrible and unethical, immoral is such a statement. Because... If you have to choose between peace and life, we're not allowed to sacrifice life on the altar of peace. Obviously, we want to have both. We want to have peace and life. But if there's a scenario in which a choice needs to be made, then the Torah tells us that when we have to prioritize between values, the value of life takes priority over the value of peace. We have to sacrifice peace to preserve life. Not because we don't value peace, 
because we value life above all else. All else. Okay. Now, being that we're learning the Talmud, we're learning Gemara, one of the uh, ways of approaching any topic that will become just natural by any Talmudic student, and I don't mean to say this only regarding people that enjoy learning Talmud. I know some people on this class actually don't like learning the Talmud, but this is a Jewish way of approaching a topic, is that you begin with a very simple Torah premise. Obviously, it has to be based on the emes. And what we're saying now is emes. That life that life has sanctity. And because of the kedusha, that human life, human life has sanctity. And because of the holiness that is just part of human life, we value it, as a rule, above all else. Above all else isn't only above the value of peace. We have Shabbos, just for example. Shabbos is so important that if someone breaks the Shabbos, they forfeit their life. That's what the Torah says, right? We don't execute people nowadays, but the fact that the Torah gives a capital punishment of stoning, being stoned to death for the violation of Shabbos, that means that Shabbos is a utmost awesome Jewish value. Nevertheless, again, if there's a clash of values, if there's a scenario where either I'm going to upkeep the sanctity of Shabbos and lose a life, or I'm going to upkeep life by violating Shabbos, again, we're going to sacrifice the Shabbos, we're going to break the Shabbos, we're going to violate the Shabbos in order to preserve life. That important is sanctity of life. So this sounds like a very simple, a very simple Jewish, you know, ethical statement. But let me start uh, asking questions. And the more questions that we will ask, and we will not give any answers, I just want to bring out the importance of asking questions, it will become clear that this this simple premise is simple, but it must be qualified. Qualifying it means it must be limited. It must be given nuance. Its exceptions must be pointed out because of the following. Okay, scenario number one. Life is, is, is holy, sanctity of life, life above all else. What happens if there's a scenario where there are two lives in front of us, one of which will need to be sacrificed for the other? What happens if there's a scenario where both lives are at risk and medical intervention is needed, which is our topic, but the doctor that's available can only save one of the two lives. Which life should be saved? And what, 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 what should be clear is that these are not simple questions, but they must be answered. And it's much better for these topics to be discussed in a theoretical setting, coming into a unpressured approach that has to be the to the best of our ability, the tighter approach. And then if God forbid such a scenario presents itself, we already know the uh, the, 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 the mechanisms of making any sort of selection. Not asking or answering these questions don't resolve anything that just causes that when a real life scenario presents itself, 
we won't know what the right answer is, and we will do that which feels right, which can be right or wrong. We will do what the instinct says, which can be right or wrong. Just as an example, and I think it's a great example. Right When the Titanic was sinking, and, it became, and people became aware that they simply did not build enough, um, whatever those little uh, boats were called, safety boats, rescue boats, lifeboats, for all of the passengers, a selection needed to be made. There simply wasn't enough room for all. So the uh, value of the time was that our women and children should be the ones saved. Now this sounds romantic, it sounds nice, but based on what? Based on what? How, how does one choose one life over the other? What determines who should live and who should die? Based on, the question is based on our value that we do attribute sanctity to life, Kedusha, so how is one life holier than the other? Or let me word it differently. When people take away God, God forbid, when people take take away Kedusha, God forbid, and all that they are temporarily left with before the world implodes, they're, they're left with social values. Ah, when it comes to social values, it's a much simpler question to answer. Erroneous, wrong, f- murderous wrong, but the value then would be, well, which human being is more valuable to the society? If it's all about social society, then, well, if you have to pick between, between two people, then what would be taken into account is which person is of greater benefit to the society. Now, again, I'm not saying that that's just a theory, a, theory, a concept. How do you apply that to what society? Okay, these are further questions, but at least we got a step. So if you have to choose between, let's say, a doctor, between someone who is a contributor to society, that's one life, one option. There's one room on the lifeboat. So either a doctor or a criminal. Someone who, at least in the past, the record of this person was, is that he or she uh, robbed, stole, were violent. Without the principle of sanctity of life, then the answer would be easier to make. Well, let's select the one whose contribution to society is a plus, if we have to pick and choose, and let's leave to die the one who doesn't not only not only does not contribute to society, but is a hindrance to society. But we're not coming with social laws. We're coming with a Torah. We have a Torah principle that there is sanctity to life. If there's sanctity, there's Kedusha in life, then one can argue, makes no difference whether this person is a plus to society or whether this person is a minus to society. They both are equally alive. They both equally have the same Kedusha or to use more Hasidish words, right? That if we're speaking about two Jews, they both share a godly soul. And ultimately, there's only one godly soul, and it's all chelek elakami mal mamish, as we learned so many times in Hasidus, so that the greatest of tzaddikim, or the greatest of bali tshuva, versus the temporarily most wicked of the wicked, 
a Russia Shabarasha Ben Benoishal Russia, if he's Jewish, he's Jewish, he's same Jew, same Neshama, same Neshama, same sanctity. So how do you make a choice? How would a doctor make a choice if you have two patients and they both need a heart transplant and there's only one heart? You see, the principle of sanctity of life is a principle that doesn't lead to clear direction. It can also lead to clear conflict. What happens if I am involved in that decision, if the decision is about me? All of these questions are asked in the Gemara. Implicitly, explicitly, you know, the Gemara's case begins with two people are in a desert and uh, they only have one jug of water. If that would be consumed by one of the two people, that one with the water will make it to, to society, will make it to a, a location where there is subsequent water, where there's more water. One person will live. Dividing the water would mean that unless a miracle happens, neither of them will survive. Both of them will live longer than without any water at all. But they will both die. They both There isn't enough water for both of them to make it out of the desert. What would you do? What would you do? It's very important to use Toyota principles as our light and guide to make these choices, these decisions, and not that which feels good. Going back to the uh, Titanic, it sounds nice, it sounds romantic, and women and children, based on what? I'm not saying that it was wrong, I'm just questioning based on what? By any selection. Or let me say even better, the whole notion in the Western world of a hero, hero is that when someone's life is in danger, you're going to go and you're going to save their life at risk to your own. Is one allowed to be a hero? Why? Why? If there's sanctity in life, which there is, and based on sanctity of life, based on that, dafke, life doesn't even belong to me because what imbues my life with sanctity is my soul, which is God's. Then do I have, do I have the moral right to be a hero? Do I have the moral right to risk my life to save yours? My life is not mine to give away for you. And it might be unethical, might be unmoral. So what says you about everything that I just mentioned right now? Any comments? Okay, not I see you, nor I hear you, but I'll make believe you guys are here. So let's go, Vaita. We're here. Hi. Hi. Hello. How are you? Hashem. A- any comments on the above? I mean, I guess it's kind of interesting that we're not our own. It kind of, it's like a really cool, um, it's like bittel, the bittel of like, I am just here watching this neshama that's inside me that doesn't really belong to me it's Hashem's neshama and um, I, you know it's a it's a form of bitol maybe with 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 real implications with real implications like we don't have it, we're not here for our own benefit we're here because Hashem wants us to be here in our bodies and we don't have a choice to say your life is more important or my life is more important because 
it's not it's not a reaction to ourselves very good how much we like ourselves or how important we think we are we are important because Hashem says we are and we very don't good. know how important very good very good I, now I want to add a little nuance to that is that our lives by Toyota does not belong to us but our property does it's kind of a paradox like if I don't even belong to me then how can I own anything but I could so your money is your money halachically if I take it from you I am stealing from you from you if a person God forbid takes someone else's life they stole from God And we can go on and on and on, but I want to stay just close to life because life is all about healing. What you know, one more one more intro about the sanctity of life. Just just explaining how what sounds to be such a simple principle, and the and the principle remains a cardinal principle with hardly any exceptions. That that the greatest value in Judaism is the value of human life. Okay, but we cannot. We are not allowed to leave these as simple principles. You need to ask questions because, because how this principle will have to play its out, out is nishpashat, not simple. Let me go back to healing. There's sanctity to life. And I think we did what I'm mentioning now, we did mention in our first intro. So if you are a doctor or if you have the ability of saving one's life, not on the account of another, not on the account of you of yours. No, no. You're going to live. But you have the ability to give life to someone else. Then it's not only something that you should do. This becomes something that you are obligated to do. Because there is sanctity of life. It's a religious, it becomes a religious mitzvah. So my question would be a general question when it comes to med- medicine and when it comes to healing. Yeah, probably this question is more relevant, more practical for doctors, but to a certain level, it's to all of us. Let's say a doctor works until 6 p.m. or until 7 p.m. or 5, whatever the time is. And when they shut down, a patient comes to them. Are they allowed to have after hours? Even where there is another doctor available. If it's not just a societal issue, if it's a religious concept, which it is, that means that if you come to me and you need help to live, whether it is you need medicine or whether it is you need food, and I have what you need, and I know that you can get it over there, but I have it, am I not always obligated to fulfill my religious duty by preserving your life? Can doctors go on a strike if they work in a hospital and they get underpaid and they have too many unworkable hours and all of their complaints are legit? Can they go on a strike? Ah, Gavaldi. Isn't it? Isn't it like? Go ahead. I was going to say you could say that about every profession. Maybe a restaurant should give their food for free because then, you know, a homeless person... Very good, Yafa. Good, 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 good. I'm saying, I'm just wanting to know that this... That's my same question. I know, Bela. That's what made me give the whole intro was a few words we had before. Correct. In other words, in other words, my, my point is, is that it's good as Jews, we are the people of the book, just to adopt an approach that when you hear something that is that is very simple 
And simple is good, don't get me wrong. You know, simple is closer to God because God is simple, Hashem Echad. But to apply a simple rule in a complex world, you have to start bombarding that principle with questions. And that, that, will, that will affect the clarity. Okay, so leaving all those questions open, I want to read one more, at least this will be like the second, because really last time we were speaking about a, a demon, and, and yeah, we learned about the amulet, but we also spoke about eating meat um, and drinking wine as means for healing. So I think there's going to be one general illness, and the Gemara is going to give us a couple of approaches towards it, which will be as a great intro to the Talmudic approach to specific medicine or to healing. And let's begin. Amar Abaye. Abaye actually was not necessarily the name of this rabbi of the era of the Talmud, but according to most, Abaye was an orphan. And we, we quote the following verse, which is an abbreviation of the word Abaye, and that is Asher Becha Yerucham Yosem, that for you, May the compassion of God be aroused because you're an orphan. And there are, there's a certain amount of compassion that we have to have on orphans. And he was an orphan. He was raised by an by a uncle, but he was named Abaye. Now, he was raised by a stepmother and he always referred to her as mother. That in itself is a very important message and a very important halacha. And the halacha is about it. And that is that in as much as kibud ava aim goes to one's biological parents, there is a, an extension of it, even not, even if it's not on the same madrega, even if it's not on the same level, but the one who raises you is someone to whom you and I have to give honor to, and he would call her my mother. Now this midwife or this mother, this uh, she wasn't a stepmother, because it wasn't that he, he called her mother. She told me like this, most people understand shimsha is fever. What causes fever? Many things cause fever. The Gemara over here is going to specify someone who got ill because they were exposed to the cold to the point that their body could not help it other than just getting sick. It hurt the body versus all other fevers. We're speaking now about all other fevers. Generally, what do you do for fever? Says, so Abaya's mother told him, Kuza Damaya, only drink water. I know this is very popular now, but this is a phenomenal foundational principle in healing. And that is, is that the body, in many cases, has the ability to heal itself. Healing need not come from without. Many times, the reason why the body is unable to resolve its own issue is because we are burdening the body with many other issues and had the body been relieved from that, it would have more kayak to focus on that which is more pressing. And one of the things, ironically, that burdens the body, even though we all need it, is food. There's only that amount of time we can live without food. But, however, food, like almost any other part of the world, of the world, excluding man that fell in the desert, mystically excluding the food that we eat on Shabbos, food hasn't it good and bad. 
And the body is very busy and burdened and using a lot of energy in separating the good from the bad, keeping the good and getting rid of the bad. And when the body is busy digesting food, it has less energy for all else, for anything else. Specifically, if there's an illness, then the first thing Abaya's stepmother told him, if you have fever, he says, only drink water. Your body will then have the ability to heal itself. But do that for one day. If if a person is uh, sick for two days, this is going to be on the same line. Then on the second day is Sikure, bloodlet. Bloodletting was a general therapy that was done, not only for ill people, for healthy people. Um, there's a whole discussion uh, uh, currently how effective in the understanding of modern medicine will bloodletting be, but getting rid of some blood. Whether it means that the uh, stimulation that your body will have to make to replace the blood, that somehow will arouse, will stimulate the healing power within the body, whether whether the illness in the blood, when you lose some blood, you lose some of the illness. I don't know how to interpret it, but day number two is bloodletting. Day number three... Oops, Rabbi Zions, I think it, um, it has to do with blood toxicity. When the blood is toxic, it's the most unhealthy thing. Having strong blood or clean blood is like what makes a person healthy. Done. So bloodletting no, good. new blood. Good, good, fine, great. Day number three... So here you fasted for a day and there was bloodletting and the person still has fever so they have to eat healthy food. And uh, I'm happy with the next statement. There is always the possibility that the nature of the body changed. There is such a concept in Torah. But the Gemara says sunka agumre, to have lean red meat not fatty red meat that was prepared on coals not fried in oil. They knew it, that's not ideal. Not even boiled in water. Prepared on coals. And the chamra marka or maraka. I call it Moroccan wine. But really what it means is, is that the wines of the days of the Talmud was very concentrated. And to water it down with the right amount of water, to add water to the wine. All of the wine that we have already has a lot of water added to it. To make sure that the wine is not like a syrup. In other words, red meat... And wine is a very healthy food which will give the body, hopefully, koyach to get rid of the illness. So that's day number one, fast. Day number two, bloodletting. Day number three, have lean red meat prepared on coals and have good wine. And day number four, l'shim sha'atiktav, the person still has fever. So now we're getting into a, a very uh, semi-mystical, maybe, or maybe it's a, something scientific. We didn't figure this out yet. It's so, uh, it's intriguing to learn about these Talmudic remedies. Lysa Tarnagolto Ukmesei. You should bring a black hen, a black chicken, not a white one, not a brown one, get a black chicken. And and cut it open. Cut it open. I mean, you have to kill it. But you cut it open lengthwise and crosswise. So you make like an X in its underbelly. 
This is just the beginning. It gets exciting now. And the patient's middle of the head, the middle of the head, the middle where the hair is, should be shaved. So now the person's bald scalp is exposed to the heavens. And leave the chicken, the part of the chicken that is cut open, put that on top of the person's head. Add the misrach until it sticks to it. Which means that, that this, this, this black hand, this black hand will somehow extract the illness through the head of the patient. And let the patient go down into water, which means cold water. Add Savari until the person's neck. So stand in cold water with the chicken on the head. Add the Cholmesh Almay until the person feels faint. When you start feeling faint, then the would go swimming, swim, exercise, and get out of the water until you recover. So, Chavra, I just want to repeat what we mentioned, that there was a ban from the earlier sages from around a thousand years ago not to practice Talmudic medicine, because if we don't get it right, then we're going to laugh at these remedies. But it's fascinating to learn about these, this type of uh, medicine, something that's completely not practiced today. Even though you have, in many alternative medicines today, you have the concept of fasting, there are, there are some people that I was just introduced to that has something very strong about going into cold water, how it, it stimulates the person's immune system. So we have some of it over here. I never heard by a non-Jewish source anything about cutting a chicken open and placing it on one's head. You have to shave your hair. The hair gets in the way until it sticks. We have a swimming, but it's all together. And this will help the person get rid of his or her fever. Any questions or comments? Wow. <laughs> Pretty crazy. I love it. I gewaldic, huh? Ashereinu matayv chalkeinu. All right. Okay, I've had a little um, theory lately about illness. Okay. Um, that I think... Maybe it could be that most illness is man-made. Toxicity of the blood, chemicals, whatever it is that has kind of attached itself to us. Um, and then there's one base illness that comes from Hashem. And um, and everything else is just man-made. So when Mashiach comes, all the man-made illnesses will go away. Like how back in the day people used to sneeze and they'd pass away from just sneezing. Is there? Does that make any sense to you? Well, the Gemara... The Gemara tells us that when Hashem made mankind, up until Avram Avinu, the, the age effect on the body was non-existent. When the Torah says that the Avraham and Sodom were Zekanim, they were old, so the, the Gemara tells us that they were the first people since the creation of the world that their age was apparent on their bodies. And Avram Avinu prayed for aging to come into the world. My mother always says that he did not consult with his wife. Had he consulted with Sarah, oh, she would never let him do that. But uh, 
He, and Yaakov Avinu, going back to your point, he was the one that prayed for illness to come into the world, which enabled people, gave people time to understand that they, they, will, they will be passing away, opportunity to do tshuva, in other words, to put one's spiritual affairs in order and to put one's material affairs in order, whether it is writing a will, whether it is paying up debts, etc., etc. So yes, you're right that the Torah tells us that illness is a novelty. It was not part of the creation. And definitely when Mashiach will come, illness will go away. That's written explicitly. Um, it doesn't mean that doctors should be nervous and not the desire the coming of Mashiach because there's going to be health and optimal health. In other words, a lot of what we'll be learning, a lot of uh, like even eating red meat, this is not countering the illness, but this is simply strengthening the body because the stronger the body, the less susceptible it is to become weak. Now, illness is after a certain line, we call illness. But even if there won't be illness, so there's different levels of life. We know it ourselves, right? Some people in the morning, the morning people, so they're filled with life. Or some people are evening people, right? There's there's energy levels. And doctors will be very much, very important in giving us and developing all types of preventative um, lifestyles, which will optimize or fill us up with even more vitality in life. So there is definitely, Rebbe spoke about that many times. The Rebbe spoke to many doctors that they should get into preventative medicine because when Mashiach will come, that's all there will be, will be preventative medicine. But correct, all illness is not part of the, uh, the essential human nature. It's an add-on that came about and therefore it's something that will be removed when, when Mashiach will come. Okay, people, to be continued, we'll see next week whether we're going to continue with some of this, which is fascinating, or whether we're going to go into Hilchas Pesach, which is fascinating and important, and to be continued.